Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Monday. It's January the 22nd, and we are back rolling live from Liberty Hill, Texas. It is about 0930 out there on the East Coast, 830 here in Central, and we are on Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. If you have not joined us on Rumble, what are you doing? What are you waiting on? You can join us on Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You can give us a thumbs up. You can give us that like. Look, I even have a little button that'll do that. There it goes. Boom. Why don't you go ahead and throw that on there and make sure that you join the chat. Apparently, you can come for the content, but you stay for the chat. We appreciate that. Folks, I'm kind of sneaking some things into the background of the room right now. So as you guys start looking around, you see things that are different. You'll go, aha, aha. I see what it is. There's a theme. You'll see. It's coming. Okay. Uh, got a got a lot going on today. Why in the world have we decided to name today's show after a 1995 movie about an enchanted board game? Any ideas? I'll watch the chat and see if you guys have figured it out. But as you guys may know, I love analogies. I love giving people concrete things that they can relate to, to be able to take it into the world and say, okay, this is an example of what's going on. And as you saw probably in the show notes today, if you're if you're brand new and you haven't seen how we do this, don't hate the player, don't hate the game. It's all kind of going to weave together here. We're going to make it all make sense to you. Uh, before we do that, I'm kind of getting myself back into the swing of things. I was out last week for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and I had a really lovely time uh, visiting with some folks from Catholic Vote. So I want to say thanks to them right up front, and I will show their their website in just a second. But you know what I've got on my desk right here? Look at this, guys. This is, this is very disturbing. Look at this. All right? This is an incredibly sharp uh, piece of glass and or crystal and or, I don't know, polyurethane. I don't know exactly what they made this out of, but it feels glass-like. It's very heavy. Uh, it was a strong problem as I went through the TSA. They did not like that I had sharp and pointy glass. They thought it might be an explosive because there was a battery next to it. God forbid. Okay, but that's the Catholic Hero of the Year Award. I let the people know at Catholic Vote that I was very disappointed with you all, the listeners, who voted for me instead of Mark Haup. I said I would just hold on to it until I see him next, and that's what we intend to do. But moreover, what I did is I uh, I offered this up to, to my wife because that's really the reason why we're here. That's the reason why I'm sitting here. She's the one who told me sit down in front of a microphone, stop worrying about being perfect and just be okay and work towards good. And that's what we do. So that's why the show is in existence. And I got another thing on here that reminds me of my wife as well. I kept this. This is the the pen that my wife gave me. It's a bolt action brass American-made pen. And she gave, me, uh, gave this to me the day that I graduated from Quantico. Uh, which was incidentally just before we had our first child. So anyway, my wife has been in my corner. She is in your corner. You guys just don't know her, but that's okay. That's how it's supposed to be. We're uh, we're doing the thing. So I just want to say thanks to my wife and say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote for you guys uh, chipping in there on the heroes and zeros of last year. Let's uh, make sure you guys are following them along. You can follow them on social media. It's at Catholic Vote. That's pretty easy. They're on True Social. They are on um, Instagram and they are on X Twitter. You can also find them at catholicvote.org. You can give generously if you'd like. Uh, they, they don't have a very high bar for people to be what's called a, the, the champion circle. And there's a new book coming out of which I wrote one of the chapters. You guys can find that by going to catholicvote.org. You're going to find that there is a, a lot more there than just straight Catholicism. These are lay people that are not priests. They're not affiliated with the Catholic Church officially. They're just Catholic people like all of your neighbors might be. And uh, they just care about America. They love America and they want it to not suck here. Seems pretty straightforward. CatholicVote.org, check them out. All right, let's get into today's topics. We're going to talk about Jumanji, okay? And Jumanji was a board game 
that was in a movie with Robin Williams that was released in 1995. And you think, okay, well, that was what? Over 20 years ago, 20, it was almost 30 years ago now. And how in the world does that have to relate to what's going on politically in this country? I think it actually has a lot to do with it because we are constantly distracted. You guys know I love the cat and the laser pointer analogy. I love breaking down the fact that we are all, like all the time being distracted by what either the elites or the media or any that's probably the same thing, are trying to get our attention span on as opposed to what's really going on. So here we go. This is the trailer for Jumanji. We just took it straight off YouTube. We're going to give it to you right now. You guys are going to get a taste of what's going on there. And I'm going to tell you why I think it matters. And here's the drums. Let's hear it go. There's a game called Jumanji that has a life all its own. You have no idea what you are getting yourself into. An ancient game where the primitive spirit of the jungle can leap out and take hold of your world. I've seen things you can't even imagine. Things you can't even see. And those who have ever played the game know the dangers that lie within. You're afraid. It's okay to be afraid. I am not afraid of anything. Prove it. Robin Williams. Jumanji. It's a jungle in there. <laughs> okay, are you guys ready? Because that might be a little bit far-fetched for some of you to grasp. Here's the analogy that I would like to make. And uh, and I'm, I'm even fleshing it out further as we're sitting here thinking about it. I'm, I'm thinking Robin Williams goes in. So the story goes like this. The, uh, there's a young boy. He's got a dad who's sort of wealthy. The dad um, buys this plot of land. They're digging. They're building something. They discover this board game. The board game is enchanted. It does really bad things. He opens it up, and with his gal pal at the time, they're young kids, they open it up, they roll the dice, boom, now they're suddenly committed to this weird game. The game kind of ensnares them, takes them in, and now you have no choice, we find out later on, but to finish the game or die trying, right? And so what you saw there is all the different scenes of the animals running out and crashing through the house and destroying it, and the monkeys throwing knives, and the alligators crawling through the basement and trying to eat people, and all the things that are going on in the game. And I think, I think that the, the Jumanji analogy is kind of where we're sitting right now in this country with a lot of this primary season, but also just politics in general. You, you even hear them say it's an ancient game, and it really is. But the real, the real sort of snare of the game is that you think that you're fighting, fighting monkeys and you think that you're fighting uh, rhinoceroses that are breaking through your wall or elephants or whatever else that's going on. You keep thinking that the enemy is the hunter. There's a hunter in there. You probably saw him briefly. He's this British-looking hunter with a rifle, and he's hunting, I think, Robin Williams, if my memory serves. It's been a while since I've seen it. We're not fighting the critters in the game. Those are the distraction. You know, Those are the cat and the laser pointer. What you're fighting is the game itself, the nature of the game. And the only way to win is to complete the game to basically come out the other side once you've begun it. And so for some ways, I think this is a Donald Trump analogy. You guys will get a kick out of this as well. I know most of you guys are big Donald Trump fans. You know that I'm kind of, um, I've got some, some misgivings, but I also think that he was always going to be the nominee. I think that was always going to be the case. And I've said that <laughs> pretty early on. In fact, the moment that they decided to indict him, I decided that they probably had decided that he was the guy in the, the general. There's a lot of decided in that sentence. 
if that's the case, and Donald Trump started playing this game in what, 2015, when he, when he threw his hat in the ring, when that happened, you have to push your end, you have to push to the end of the game. And we're in the middle of it right now. So in the movie Jumanji, what happens is the boy and the girl start playing the game, they toss the dice, they something bad happens, and he gets sucked in, and she closes up the board game and she runs home. And the boy is trapped. And then the boy comes back, and he looks like this. He looks like Robin Williams wearing some funny Hollywood 90s costume. He's got leaves around his neck because it helps him blend in. He's got a loincloth on because he started when he was six or eight years old and he didn't know what was going on. And now suddenly he's a grown up. And so he's got this wild beard and he's very untamed and he's uncivilized. And he comes in like all rough and ready in the modern world trying to figure out what the hell's going on and how do I how do I solve these problems? And so there you go. That is that is let's say 2016 all the way through or maybe this is the the jungle period right now. And we're about to get back in. The possibility is, is that we get a Trump back in office and he may shave up and clean up okay and he may go into this role. But the game, he still has to finish the game. It scared the crap out of my kids because it's, it's inherently threatening to be in that scenario. It's also not a thing that everybody ought to do. Not everybody needs to jump into this ugly game. But these kids support him. Uh, Bonnie Hunt, his childhood friend who grows up into being an adult, they work through the game. And they, they're, they're dealing with whatever sort of nonsense um, the game throws at them. But the, but the nonsense, the, the animals, all these ugly sort of distractions, none of them are the real enemy. The enemy is the game itself. And I think it's really worth knowing that. Now, I've got a video. Um, the people in Davos are meeting right now for whatever that's worth. It's worth knowing that they're out there in their private jets and they're talking about what is, how do we save liberal democracy and all this other kind of stuff. Luckily, we actually have some interesting swing back that's happening right now. And it leads me to think that the game is not over, but it is getting to a point where everybody's starting, to, we have grownups in it and we have a chance to actually be successful. It's kind of interesting to watch Kevin Roberts, who is the president of Heritage Foundation. There's a little 45 second clip I'm gonna play you. He was invited to go and speak there. And while he's there, He's dropping some bombs on them. One, he's indicating he expects that Donald Trump, you know, has the potential of being the next president. And even if not, um, that the next conservative administration is not going to play kindly. And that's why all of you, probably me as well, we're all in the sort of never Nikki thing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk Ron DeSantis in a second here. But let's just watch what he's dropping on these people who had a witch, some kind of weird pagan witch, open up their festivities, blessing them or cursing them or whatever the hell she did. Um, and he's just bringing it to him. He's speaking honestly, and he's representing even in an intellectual way, even though he's a person that is very intelligent, he's bringing like this sort of blue collar sentiment that like, Hey, you're on notice folks. And we see that we are not challenging the mechanisms within the game. We're challenging the game itself because they've been kind of slanting it for quite a long time. So let's listen to uh, Kevin Roberts here for a sec. The kind of person, and I'll be candid here because I think I've been invited here to be candid. <laughs> The kind of person who will come into the next conservative administration is going to be governed by one principle, and that is destroying the grasp that political elites and unelected technocrats have over the average person. And if I may, I will be candid and say that the agenda that every single member of the administration needs to have is to compile a list of everything that's ever been proposed at the World Economic Forum and object <laughs> all of them wholesale. Anyone not prepared to do that and take away this power of the unelected bureaucrats and give it back to the American people is unprepared to be part of the next conservative administration. So there you have it. The power belongs with the people. 
The people have said that over and over again. Uh, all of you are probably feeling that. I, every time I go speak somewhere, every time I have like a small discussion, doesn't matter if we're on a Twitter space or any of these sort of conservatives that have popped up in the last couple of years that are getting a lot of information out to the, to, you know, the average person. They are representing the quote unquote, we the people part, which is where the power of government is supposed to come. One of the things that I think that's so lost, and I was having this conversation with some folks from Catholic Vote while we were driving in the car, a lot of what we're doing right now is we're relearning civics as the American people, the blue, the white collar, the no collar types. I'm a no collar types, as you can tell, if I can help it. We're, we're trying to relearn. It's like, wait a minute, all that stuff that we did, whether it was in high school or anywhere else, like we, we kind of forgot how important it was because a lot of people just had their heads down. First, they were working jobs in the 80s and the 90s, and then suddenly we're all looking into our computer screens in the 90s and the 2000s, and then everyone's down on a phone. Everyone's looking down. Nobody's looking up and seeing what's going on. So they're dealing with the alligator. They're dealing with the monkeys. They're not dealing with the board game itself. And the board game itself was there is a set of rules that is supposed to be played. It's been hijacked. And he didn't say we're going to come after the elites if you listened. He said, we're going to come after the grasp of the elites. And that's to say that there are rules that they are supposed to be contained within. The game is not supposed to outspill the boundaries of the game itself. And so that's the only way that I think this country is, is brought to heal, is that it's actually given the constitutional boundaries that we were supposed to always have. And we kind of forgot because we were busy doing other things. We were playing sports. We were trying to have a job. We weren't looking up and saying, what is getting by us? And a lot got by us. So now it's really ugly. Now it's spilled out into the world and we're going to deal with it. I think that's what's going on right now. I think that is the, the positivity of 2024, that people are feeling that, that there's a sense of hope. It's not inevitable. There's a lot of dangers. You guys just saw a whole clip full of things that can be sort of metaphorical dangers. But if you go with that mindset that the, that the enemy is not a Ron DeSantis, if you're a Trump supporter, or even a Nikki Haley, you know, and it's actually not even a Joe Biden voter. That's not who your enemy is. Your enemy is the fact that the game has spilled outside of the borders and it needs to be recontained. The end of that movie, and I'm not giving anything away because after 30 years, you guys can watch it yourselves anytime you want and don't watch the, the remakes, at least not first. Those aren't real. You need to go back and realize that it ends with the box shutting closed and contained. The box is supposed to be contained. The power of government is supposed to be contained. We are not supposed to have it running our lives. We are supposed to run it. We make demands. It's one of the reasons why you'll find that I will constantly push people, uh, whether they're Trump surrogates or you know just Trump fans, I will push the envelope because I want Trump to represent the best things for all of us. That includes people on the political left, by the way. And an overreaching federal government is scary as hell. That's what the suspendables are about. If you watch the American Radicals podcast, you'll watch the opening statement that Steve Friend makes in front of Congress. And what he says is, this is a nonpartisan whistleblowing activity. Having a federal government not play by the rules to overspill its boundaries, it's an existential threat for everyone. It just seems to be targeting people on the political right right now. And my argument would be to you, as generally conservative people that listen to this. I don't think there's a whole lot that are not part of this. But if you're not, it's an open-ended concern. We should all be worried that if the federal government comes after conservatives, they can come after you next. Why? Because they're going to run out. They're like the classic story of you know hoping that the, uh, the alligator eats you last because you're holding onto its tail. It eventually gets to you. 
So if you want to be eaten last or first or anywhere, that's kind of a bad situation. The idea would be that the alligator eats no one and it's contained where it needs to be, either in a cage or with a muzzle or whatever the analogy you need. That's the reason why we used to see people like the ACLU defend Nazis' rights to speak freely. And the other reason is because as long as we're speaking, we're still in the communication phase and we're not in the knife-throwing, rifle-shooting, tank, F-16, F-15. Uh, Biden's not sure whether he likes F-15s or F-16s, so he's not sure which military force he's going to back or which military branch, rather. But the fact of the matter is, is that we don't need to be doing that. If we can continue it with just the verbal rhetoric, we're all better off. That's my take. That's my hope for this uh, for this week. I think it's really important. We're going to cover down on all the stories of the day. Uh, a couple things that have been going on. We've had uh, a, just a breaking piece from Steve Baker, so I may cover that in just a second here. Let's start with the DeSantis dropout because, you know, we should start there anyway. Um, I've got a video. I cut up a little bit of his uh, sort of concession, if you will, and dropping out of the race. I think it's fair. Uh, I don't know why this guy ever thought that it was going anywhere. It was pretty obvious to those of us who were paying attention. It's why I didn't get too concerned about primaries. This is uh, Ron DeSantis throwing his support behind the big guy. Here we go. Nobody worked harder and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. So there you have it. That's a highly reasonable statement. It's very balanced. And of course, what he's saying is something that most of us understood right up front, which is that um, the American people are looking to give Donald Trump another chance. Let me give kind of a nuanced take on that. Um, before we do, I want to say thanks to my buddies over at uh, Patriot Coolers, which actually came with me to Florida. So let me do that first. Uh, folks, you guys can get your own Patriot Cooler. They are on social media at PatriotCoolers.com. I'm sorry, at Patriot Coolers, just on uh, uh, True Social and on X. And I'm pretty sure they're on Instagram as well. Those are the only social media platforms I can keep track of. There's too many. Otherwise, you can go to PatriotCoolers.com, PatriotCoolers.com. The promo code is Kyle, K-Y-L-E. That's just my name. That's how you do it. K-Y-L-E, four letters, saves you 10%. And uh, 50 bucks or more, you're going to get free shipping. Here's mine right now. You guys can see it on the desk. You can see it on the screen if you're watching. It's the 19-ounce tumbler. I threw this in my bag. It got me sent back through TSA. Well, just a little pro tip for you all. If you are going to be taking your Patriot cooler with you, make sure the tumbler is empty when you hit the uh, when you hit the, the gate. And of course, if it's not, what they'll do is they will send you back through 
not just the tumbler through, like all of you back through for no particular reason, even though they can see that it's just coffee in there and that it has a little bit of cream and you can dump it out. That's not okay for them. Anyway, um, my dislike for the TSA is strong. My love for Patriot coolers quite high. That's why I've been using them since 2017, right when they first launched. And a great company. You can see the little social media handle down there. It's again at Patriot Coolers or go to PatriotCoolers.com with the promo code Kyle. Check out any of their stuff. You won't be disappointed. And they've also passed our little... Um, accidental taste test, if you will, versus the Yeti and the Stanley. They continue to be pound for pound. I think the best tumblers for what they are. They look great. They say Patreon on them. You're not missing out. Let's get into the, uh, let's get into this Ron DeSantis thing. I, you know, I don't always just care about the way the news is put out. I care about how it's covered and I, I seriously care about how it's covered. So this one is really fun. Okay. What you're seeing on the screen right now, if you're watching, that's Fox news, Fox news is saying the right things. Trump is, quote unquote, very honored by DeSantis endorsement after the Florida governor suspends his presidential run. Very honored to have his endorsement. That's the right move. That's what happens. That's when you realize that you're not fighting the, the animals in the game. You're fighting the game itself. And if you listen to what Ron DeSantis just said in that concession as he suspends his his presidential run, what, what was the piece that was in there? He, he highlighted the one thing that he disagreed with on Donald Trump. That's super important. That's the way that presidential primaries have always worked. Some people, like I said, a lot of people have forgotten civics. A lot of you have not paid attention or you just managed to forget every four years how primary season works. The goal for some of these campaigns is to move the needle on certain issues. I don't know if that was DeSantis' initial intent, but what he's highlighting is a real problem, particularly with the base. And most of you who are Donald Trump supporters— you know that the, that the Operation Warp Speed and the Fauci and the COVID response, we're going to talk a little bit about that later on, like all of that is going to come back. And so we need to be aware of it. And I think DeSantis's position is correct. Now, if Ron DeSantis acts like there was not a shutdown or that there were not some like really weird COVID policies in Florida, that's also pretty disingenuous. And I'm going to give you guys just a quick taste only because I was in 20 states in the year 2020. So I was the most busy as an FBI surveillance agent during that time. And one of the things that I saw, because I drove from Virginia all the way down to past Miami, and we went and picked up some motorcycles for our surveillance program. We drove back up. It's a really cool tool for like very, very few times, but since it cost nothing and it was already sunk cost. I'm the kind of government employee that said, wouldn't we spend $200 on some trailers and drive down in our government vehicles and go pick up some stuff? You know, like, I don't know, fifteen dollars or $20,000 worth of assets instead of rebuying them up here for no freaking reason. So we did that. And when I did, I had to drive down from the uh, the northern border of Florida, and we crossed into the state. And the state, the state police were shutting down the highway, and they were directing people who were from certain areas to go off into like the secondary. And I did it one time. I pulled into the secondary, and there was just like some kid. He was like a contractor standing in a little tent. And I, I don't know. They had like maybe thermometers, but they didn't do anything. He literally. I rolled down the window and I go, "Hey," and he goes, "Hey, have a nice day." It was it was obtrusive, so it was like the 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 show of doing something, but it was useless. And so I think that's actually kind of problematic. The second time I went through, by the way, I just blasted through, and I had a state trooper almost jump out in front of my truck when I was driving down, and uh, we were going down there for some kind of a we were going down there for some kind of whatever it was uh, surveillance mission, I think. And uh, as we did, <laughs> this guy tried to stop me. Flipped on my lights. His partner was laughing, and I'm like, I'm not stopping. Number one, supremacy clause. Number two, we have free movement between the states. And there was a an actual stop there. So there that wasn't a I would love it if if people were just hundred percent honest about the things that they did screw up, because that was a screw up. But let's look at what they, what's going on here with the CNN, okay? Because that's the other piece of it. 
Look at what CNN has on their homepage. So what you're seeing is Fox on one side, CNN on the other side says the real impact of the DeSantis decision to quit. And what you don't see is anything saying um, how good it is for Donald Trump or what it means for the Republican Party. What we see is New Hampshire prepares to vote. It's clear the chances of denying Donald Trump are dwindling. So that's a negatively phrased version of this because CNN is obviously nonpartisan, even though they're 100 percent partisan. Uh, the stunning fall of the DeSantis campaign. So they're going to point out that. We're going to talk about Nikki Haley. There she is. We don't need two 80-year-olds in the White House. Mm, okay. Then they're going to go, oh, what do voters have to say about Nikki Haley and Donald Trump? Why is Nikki Haley listed first? It's Again, it's subtle, but it's there. And then their opinion piece, which I want to cover down on, which is to say that uh, the real problem of the DeSantis withdrawal poses a problem for Nikki Haley because that's who the leftists are trying to get. If the leftists can get a Nikki Haley as the head-to-head, -head, then they win no matter what. And not the case. That means conservatives lose. A Nikki Haley victory is a leftist victory, even in, if they just both go to the general. That's what's worth noting, I think. Um, so let's read a little bit from this Fox piece. Just uh, just a little quick taste of it. Uh, again, former President Trump saying that he was honored. Governor DeSantis' endorsement is going to be good. He, uh, he DeSantis took number two in Iowa, so throwing that behind is not a bad thing at all. The top two guys in the first contest, that's worth noting. Uh, let's see. He said, I look forward to working together with him to beat Joe Biden, who was the worst and most corrupt president in the history of our country. This is always the way it's always worked, folks. If, if this is new to you and you're just paying attention for the first time or maybe you never cared before, the, the, you know, there's always this hard prot primary, uh, primary season, particularly when there's not an incumbent. People go and they take their shots. They try to do it in an honorable way. I don't think that was taken down. I think some of the supporters and the surrogates have been ugly. But end of the day. They got to get behind the one guy if you want, as he said, a decidedly better option there. You know, being a not Biden is a pro-Trump stance. You don't have to be explicitly pro-Trump to be not Biden. That's kind of where I sit right now. But like, I assume it's Trump. Of course it is. And generally speaking, even though that sort of statement from CNN about the Nikki Haley is actually correct, I don't want to see a, a, an 80 year old in the White House either. But you know what I do know? And this is really obvious to me. We're not dealing with the regular rules of the game. We're not dealing with the beginning stage of the Jumanji where you're just opening the game and you're throwing down the first dice. What we're dealing with is we now have the Robin Williams character coming back wearing all of the loincloth and craziness. That's the stage of the game we're in. We have to finish the game as it's played if we want to play it again. We absolutely cannot assume that it's business as usual and we're just going to start a new game. That's the whole point. So even though I'm not crazy about an old guy of any age, you know, over 70, I don't want old people in the White House because I don't think they have any skin in the game. We do know that Donald Trump has a ton of skin in the game because they indicted him, which is something that I said way back then. The minute that you make it about Donald Trump and with all of that craziness, you have to get behind that, even if you're not really excited. Like, I, I'll, I'll be totally honest. Like, he's not my favorite candidate, but my favorite candidate isn't running. I don't know who that would be. Probably Steve Friend. Steve Friend would be a much better candidate. For me, I trust Steve Friend implicitly. I don't know Donald Trump personally. But he's what we got. And he's also the guy that's currently in the game and has been. And that was obvious for quite a while. So that's where it's at. Like I said, you're never going to hear me say like, oh, this guy's done everything. I, I'm going to continue to try to push. I want to see good things come out from this, from this cycle. And the only way that happens is gentle nods, respectful nods. I will debate on policy. I'm not interested in personalities. And uh, hopefully you aren't either. That would actually be better for a lot of us if that was the case. If we could all just agree that let's go to the let's go to the CNN piece because <laughs> CNN is is the best. So there's a little trick if you guys don't know how this works in media, whether it be uh, whether it be in print journalism or whether it be in uh, in video and radio. 
if you want to say something and you know you can't say it, you get an opinion columnist and you deny, you know, like this person doesn't represent us. This is just an opinion column. It represents the, you know, it doesn't represent the organization. You write this caveat. The FBI does it too, by the way. They do it like, oh, we're not going to infringe on First Amendment liberties. And then they go do it. When you deal with uh, a guest, either a guest that comes on your show, when you deal with a guest writer, an opinion columnist that pops in and writes something, you can say all the things you want to say without it actually being attributed to you. It is a way to move the ball forward. It's really sneaky. And this particular article that you're seeing up on the screen, of which I've got a bunch of little screenshots from, it says, opinion, okay, from Mar uh, David Mark. The real problem with the distances withdrawal it poses for Nikki Haley. So we're going to hear a little bit about that. I'm going to just kind of read some of the things that are on the screen here so you guys can read along with me if you like. But it says it isn't particularly surprising since the whole concept of DeSantis' campaign was being a Trump mini-me. I don't actually think that was the case. He was trying to push things. He was tacking further to the right on certain issues. In Florida, he picked cultural fights uh, over the content of social studies textbooks and played up the COVID-19 pandemic issues. And he tangled with the state's largest employer, Disney, among other actions that were likely to play well with a populist right. No, it's not populist right. It's just people. It's just regular people that want to have control of their own government. That should be the piece that's in there. Um, you've got people like Nikki Haley, who's out there basically trying to say that she wants to bring back the early 2000s. She liked to be like a mini-me of Bush, I guess. She really loves war. That's what we all keep seeing. She doesn't seem to be real honest about American history. She wants to be squishy and soft and not answer questions. That's not the way that we're playing this game right now. This game has monkeys throwing knives, and it has elephants stampeding through your library. So when that is the case, you can't be a squishy Nikki Haley who wants to play both sides and tack down the middle and pretend to be like this sort of like conservative, but not conservative, this sort of like sweet neocon that also plays to the political left. We can't do that. We're not in that world. We're in a fight to the death, but the death is with the game. And she's still trying to play an old version of the game. She wants to sit down and play it with the kids where they're rolling the dice at the beginning. Uh, it says some of Haley's tactics may have also backfired, like pulling down uh, pulling out of two of the debates with DeSantis until recent days, unless Trump participated. The idea was to emphasize that her real opponent was Trump. Well, honey, you got what you asked for. How about that? You're in a head-to-head -head now with Donald Trump, and nobody likes you. I have never met a Nikki Haley supporter. We even showed a house divided the other day, and I played it twice for you guys because it's so funny. <laughs> we showed uh, a woman talking about how great Nikki Haley is, and then what happens next? Like Her husband's like, well, we're going to see what happens. She lost, right? She was number three. She called it a two-person race. The one person who won in front of her just dropped out. So I would say it's a one-man race right now, but that's okay. Nikki Haley's doing her thing. She's going to try to uh, make her, her donors uh, appreciate their donations, I suppose, as best they can. New Hampshire will be interesting. The ground game that uh, that Vivek had and is now endorsing Trump in New Hampshire was really, really impressive. He was out shaking hands and kissing babies and meeting people and giving them real, real accurate information. And so, uh, you know, what does that look like? That looks like if he's throwing his support behind Donald Trump, I imagine that actually bumps quite a bit better. Trump's already polling at 50% plus there. So it could be an absolute blowout in New Hampshire, and in which case we won't have to hear from Nikki Haley again, maybe ever. That'd be okay, too. Um it's interesting that she said that she she basically, this is CNN's take, uh, she lost two high-profile chances to present herself to the undeclared part of the New Hampshire electorate, and now her campaign is so actively and aggressively courting it. Eh, no, it's not happening. None of that's working, and we all know better. And and then the last little piece here, which is, of course, they, they finally say the quiet part out loud, which is to say that Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee. This is a, uh, this is a guy out of Montana whose name is, what's his name? 
uh, Steve Daines. And so he says he's the presumptive nominee. I'm encouraging every Republican to unite behind him because it will take all of us to defeat Joe Biden, to take back the Senate and to hold the House. That's really what this is supposed to be about. Okay, that's the actual game. The game is, can you swing the needle far enough to the right to take the two houses of government for legislature and the executive branch to enact it and actually get it done? Can you actually have a victory? That's how you beat the game. You have to be able to rewrite the rules. you got to be able to get into the space where you are going to now uh, dictate what the policy looks like, rewrite the rules figuratively. You're like, we're not rewriting the Constitution. Theoretically, we would go back to what it looked like before we had this massive growth of government. And what's also interesting is you keep seeing the Republicans kind of give in, real squishy stuff, real Nikki Haley 2002 stuff, where they're like, oh, if we could just get the funding levels back to the 2020 levels. No. How about we get the funding levels back to the 1932 funding levels? How about we get it back that far? That's where we should be looking as Americans. Maybe 1908 funding levels, pre-FBI funding levels would be great for me. Let's start tacking aggressively. But the only way you do that is you actually have to have power. <clears throat> and that means they have to. They need to rally around. Anyway, CNN, very, very concerned about this stuff. They are very worried that might be the case. And if that's what they're worried about, that's good for me. I'm okay with it. Now, there's a couple of other kind of fun points of light. I think Monday's a good day for optimism, and this is one of those optimistic moments. So I'm gonna share with you something. This literally just broke out. Actually, let's let's do it this way. This just uh, was, was published within the last 35 minutes. Uh, and I'm going to have to read it off the screen here because it's above me. It says, while we defend a great journalist and great friend, TPC for USA. That's Steve Baker, folks. You guys know that he's one of our friends here at the show, but he's also a great guy. Uh, we also seek to restore, he meant to do a hashtag there, rule of law and reseat uh, enforcement back within the two historical norms. We beseech the current career public servants to implement reforms from within to restore these great institutions. W what is that all about? Well, as you guys may know, there has been a concerted effort and, a, and an ongoing fear that they were going to lock up Steve Baker, right? And so we covered it long form. We are going to continue to cover his story. It's very important personally because I think he's a good person, but also for what it means about journalism in this country. The idea that, as I said, the ACLU used to defend Nazis' abilities to protest on purpose is very important. Why do you do that? You do that because you think that everybody can speak or nobody can speak. And Steve Baker, as a journalist, he needs to be able to speak. So let's throw this up on the screen here. I've got uh, I've got the press release that's actually been made public. We're going to throw a couple little pieces on here. This is the attorney's statement on threatened prosecution of investigative journalists. It's coming from J.L. Bright Law. We'll, we'll cover that at the bottom of it. So here we go. It's a little quick quote. It says, my name is Steve Baker. I'm a journalist. I am now employed by the Blaze Media, but I've been a freelance writer and journalist for more than 25 years. I've covered newsworthy events around the country for over 10 years. I went to Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, like dozens of other journalists, and I covered the events of the day. Okay, so what's going on there? It's the same reason why I was talking to Steve, and I wanted to establish that he's been writing since, you know, CompuServe and AOL-type blogs. The reason is, is because when you try to establish the credibility, if somebody is or is not a journalist and has the protections of the press under the First Amendment, I guess there's a bar that has to be jumped up, at least... That's what DOJ has been arguing. And we're making that argument. He's making that argument. I think Americans should be making that argument right now. What he's saying is, is not only was I a journalist on January 6th, but I was for the decade before, and I've been writing and, and covering things as a freelance writer, whether it be music or other news, for over 25 years. It's hard to make an argument otherwise when that's the case. 
All right. They also get into this little piece about the threats. He said, for the past eight months, I've been reviewing non-public closed-circuit television video and body-worn camera video in the possession of Congress at the invitation of the Speaker of the House. That started off under McCarthy, folks, for what it's worth, and now continues under Johnson. And he says, I have found and published stories about the video evidence that contradicts claims made by the Department of Justice and evidence presented by the DOJ in various trials of the January 6th defendants. I'm going to cut away from this for one second. So here's the deal. Steve was at many of these trials. He saw the evidence and he was just sitting and watching and then he got access to all of the footage that was not necessarily available to all of the defense teams because people either couldn't afford it or they weren't being released, et cetera, et cetera. And he's been digging at it like a dog with a bone. You guys have seen some of the stuff Warren, uh, Darren Beatty has gone forward now and talked about you know what's been going on with the pipe bomber. He's de definitely been into the pipe bomber thing from the beginning. Steve did really a, a huge break on that, and I'm hoping that we connect a little bit with him and, and get that audience louder, whether it be you know through his outlet at Blaze and Glenn Beck or whether it goes to Dan Bongino or both or all. Everybody needs to cover down on the fact that DOJ is pushing something, and that was always the case. There's a reason why I was so freely talking about the stuff that I knew about the, the pipe bomber because it was obvious that the FBI was lying. OK, and there have been some whistleblower precedents. I don't know that it goes really well for anybody. But the fact of the matter is, is if your employer is lying and presenting false evidence to the public. And if you remember, the FBI actually stated that those pipe bombs were viable and they said so because, I don't know, it ginned up fear. Then why have they not caught the person? That's number one. And number two, why were they so lackadaisical on January 6th? And that to me is incredibly damning. It's not. It's not proof positive of anything, but it is more overwhelming evidence that something is afoot that is, uh, it had some people involved that shouldn't have been involved. So Steve is a stud. You guys know this. Let's go back and keep reading this little disclosure because it not just goes to that. We're going to talk about, this is actually written as a quote from him, but then it's by his attorneys. And that's where it gets really good. It says, the undersigned attorneys have volunteered to represent Steve Baker. You hear the word volunteered, pro bono. In any criminal proceeding brought against him, in the United States Justice Department. We became acquainted with Steve over the past 18 months, beginning with his daily coverage from inside the courtroom in the first trial of the members of the Oath Keepers organization in September to November of 2022. Steve was at the Capitol on January 6th, captured the events on video, taking notes for later reporting. He's been provided access to his video. He's given access to his video to numerous media outlets. He's basically been somebody who's been interested in uh, moving forward the cause of truth. And if you've listened to even our first one, I, I, I called it the uh, the American Rorschach test, and Steve called it the most comprehensive leftist narrative victory in American political history. Last little quote here. Uh, Hundreds of hours of work by Steve have resulted in him uncovering video evidence that calls into question the truthfulness of testimony of two key prosecution witnesses in the first Oath Keeper trial. U.S. Capitol Police officers Harry Dunn and David Lazarus. Those guys appeared to have perjured themselves. They either misremembered, but there's some pretty good evidence that that was not the case, or they were straight up lying. And why is that important? Because what they did with the way that these January 6th prosecutions have been built up, they have slowly been building a snowball. You guys know how a snowball works? You start with a little hand-packed piece of it, and you start pushing it around, and as it has enough weight, it begins gathering mass on its own. That's what they did. They did that with these prosecutions. It's like, first, we're going to get a bunch of protesters. We're going to get them, and they're going to be listed as um, as as uh, trespassers, but also insurrectionists. We're going to say it in the media. We're not going to actually be able to charge anybody with any of that stuff. And then they're going to slowly move forward towards the conspiracy, and the, all those people were just dupes, and they were duped by these other people, and these were the real masterminds. And they slowly worked their way up, and same thing with the Proud Boys, until you got this overwhelming body of evidence 
The danger of the FBI Catholic document, which I was released about a year ago, almost a year ago. We're coming right up on the anniversary of it. Um, <laughs> the reason that that was so important is because it gave a basis for them to generate new investigations. You build a body of work based on one success. And they tried to push the needle, they, the FBI, in the Catholic situation, they tried to say that, you know, radical traditionalist Catholics, which is a made up term, are, are problematic to the American people because they might be white supremacists and they're susceptible. Once you get that one little thing through, somebody else writes another work, another person writes a work. Now you have to debunk six, seven, eight, nine Intel products and cases that are going alongside of them. They did the same thing in the January 6th investigations. They got small wins. The small wins built up into bigger wins. Anybody who's ever been in sales knows. The first thing you need is one win. You need your first win, whatever that is. And then every customer that you meet in front of and everybody that you pitch and try to sell, you say the same thing. You go, look, let me give you an example. You know, I'm pretty new at this, but this is a concrete example of a victory that we had in a marketing campaign or in somebody buying my product. It solved the problem that they were looking for, you know, and they're a testimonial. There's a reason why testimonials are the best. Because somebody said, I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to do it. They were able to take the chance. They took their shots. They took it on the safest bets. They got convictions on the lowest tier and they continue to work up to all of this nonsense. And it's incredibly, incredibly scary stuff for me. Um, we're going to continue on with a little bit of this stuff from this letter, from this, from this press release. It says, uh, more recently... On Wednesday, January the 17th, five days ago, Steve and the Blaze were the first to report. This is the real key because don't give credit anywhere that it's not due. People need to be making sure that they understand who it was that sifted through all this stuff. And I knew this on January 6th, by the way, because Steve told me this and he was told me it was just waiting for the video proof to come out that they were allowed to release it. The Blaze was the first to report multiple congressional sources confirmed that the person who first discovered the pipe bomb at the DNC headquarters near the Capitol in the early afternoon of January the 6th, was not just some passerby, as was previously stated by the FBI, but was rather a United States Capitol police officer in plain clothes. I highly encourage you guys go and check out the videos of this. You can see the nonchalant and lackadaisical attitudes of this individual calling out supposedly a lethal explosive device that must be treated that way until proven otherwise. You can also see videos, um, like I said, Darren Beatty has it up from Revolver News, but Steve's got it as well. You guys can see a, like a little group of kids move within what should be the blast radius of that pipe bomb. No reaction. The guys sitting in the vehicles that are part of the Secret Service detail from Kamala Harris, who was at the DNC at the time, who is reported that there is a pipe bomb by this Capitol Police officer, they finished their sandwiches. And what does that mean? It means that they had already determined, based on their behavior, we're going to just go out on a limb here, but we're going to say, based on my training and experience, people that don't react to a potential explosive device with setting up a minimum safe distance and an emergency cordon, those people are a flipping problem because they know something that everybody else does, which is to say that they can just chill and they can finish their sandwich and they can let little kids get by and they don't have to stop traffic and they don't have to stop um, trains going by. All of this stuff is truly crazy. If you actually understand how explosives works, they're indiscriminate. You don't know what they're going to hit. They can bounce off walls and come back and go further than they might otherwise have been. All of that stuff is dangerous. Why do they not get their protectee out of there? And why do they not move the kids or set up a cordon? They did not because something else is going on. We don't have to name what the, what the thing is. What we do say is the FBI lied to the public and said these were viable devices. They came forward and made that clear. They, they basically pushed a number of criminal prosecutions and they referenced this information. 
as part of the, uh, the the events of the day. They also were dropping it in to criminal complaints about how violent that day was, including explosive devices. Those explosive devices have been found and have been documented to be BS, complete trash. And Steve actually is going to be releasing some footage, I think, of the uh, of the actual devices being detonated on scene. And nobody seems too worried about it. Do you know how many devices you detonate in place? I mean, they usually try to like wrap these things up. They put over, you know, some kind of a, um, a shield and then they'll, they'll blow them up if they have to. That's like last resort. That's not what goes on in this one either, because I think it was pretty clear that it was nonsense. In any case, his reporting has been really important. It has done all of that information. Um He's, he's shared all this with the public, but the, uh, the Justice Department was hiding the fact that this guy was a Capitol Police officer. Why? Why would you hide that? That seems really problematic. And then lastly, there's a general belief among the January, this is from the, the attorneys again, a general belief among the January 6th defense community that there's long been that the pipe bombs at the DNC and the RNC were a ruse that was meant to draw manpower of the United States Capitol Police away at the same time that the crowd was anticipated to begin arriving and going to the permitted protests that were scheduled outside of the Capitol, leaving the ellipse and going over to the U.S. Capitol. And it's believed that there was a need to address the pipe bombs was going to be offered as an excuse as to why U.S. Capitol Police were undermanned and unprepared and unable to maintain a security perimeter at the U.S. Capitol grounds. All of this stuff is highly damning. And so what do you see? I'll show it one more time. What you see there are the attorneys that have jumped in. There's uh, James Bright. There's Matthew uh, Saradani. Brad uh, Bradford or Brad Geyser, who I just who I showed the tweet of a minute ago, Philip Linder, our buddy Bill Shipley, William Shipley, former ASA, and um, Edward Tarpley, or Tarpley rather. So all of these individuals have basically volunteered their service, saying we are willing to step up. Not only that, but they put their names to that those statements that I just read to you. These are criminal defense attorneys now, many of whom have previous experience working on it. And what are they going to do? They're going to defend Steve Baker. So if you guys hear fundraising here and we decide to push any of that stuff out, we will. And I want to make sure that those guys are not out of pocket. So if we can crowdsource some funds for Steve Baker's defense, you know that we're going to do that here. It's incredibly important to continue to question this stuff and to undermine what it is they're trying to distract us with. They're trying to distract us with, oh, these things are bad. How about the real information? The real narrative has to be debunked and it continues to be debunked. I've got another story I'm going to hit you in just a second here. But this is what needs to be done. We need to keep pushing this. And uh, and I feel very good that you've got attorneys that are willing to step into the breach. Because when this started, if you guys don't know, I called around actually to try to figure out whistleblower attorneys. I asked, hey, would you be willing to take on my case? And what they told me is not only no, <laughs> but we are besieged right now by all these people. They have no money and they are looking for January 6 defenses and none of our partners want to do it. We need to swing that back so that attorneys are willing to brave going out there and saying the Justice Department is absolutely wrong. By the way, they asked for a change of venue. And the end of that uh, letter, which is really a slap in the face to the DOJ, is what it's meant to be. Uh, that's why I've shared it. Please share it on social media. It's in my timeline. The reason is because if they're so confident that they're able to, to win a prosecution against a, a Steve Baker who is objectively operating in a First Amendment protected space, then the question is this. Why don't you bring it in the Northern District of Texas? You could do it in Dallas, or you can bring it where he lives outside of Raleigh. Why don't you bring it in the District of North Carolina where he's at, in the Eastern District there? That's what their challenge is. And that's what it should be. The Justice Department wants to restore their integrity. Take it outside of D.C. and show us, okay? Um, Steve Friend referred to that whole list of attorneys as the murder row of defense attorneys, uh, referencing the, what is it, 1927 Yankees. So kind of fun. Uh, All-star team. That's what needs to happen. That's where we need to be. We need to be backing these people up. And let's just keep going with the uh, the concern because this actually just is 
coming right out of these timelines from these guys. How about this? Politico reporting just a couple days ago. This is the 18th. This is just the end of last week. They're really worried, okay? <laughs> Politico is the same organization that continues to kind of hold semi-middle ground. But it says DOJ has a near-perfect record on January 6th cases, but it's starting to stumble. Oh, no. Why is that? It's starting to stumble because you've got people like Baker and Darren. you got Glenn Beck backing it. You've got people like Bongino asking these questions. Hey, guys, what the hell happened? And suddenly, the American people are more and more open to hearing that the messaging campaign is going to have to fail because they don't believe the way it was done. Again, we have to look at the game, not at the individual players within the game. The game is the enemy in this case. Federal prosecutors have brought more than 1,200 criminal cases related to January 6th. 2021, the Capitol riot, with a nearly unbroken success in the courtroom until now. After three years, pro-Donald Trump mob threatened a, a transfer of power. Meh, I don't know about that, but that's their words. Justice Department attorneys are suddenly facing a growing list of legal stumbling blocks as they continue to pile up with new arrests arising from the so-called insurrection. I'm adding the so-called part because I can't stand saying that word. The real interesting piece here is uh, at the top of the list is a Supreme Court challenge. This was always going to have to be challenged. Basically, the DOJ in this case, and this is a messaging output, you know, they're, they're, they're 100% behind this message. That, oh, we're facing these uphill battles. It's not fair to challenge these decisions that we had in this crappy lower court in the District of D.C. Really? That's the way our system is supposed to work. The fact that they didn't get a fair trial, which I think is objectively clear, one, based on the numbers, and two, more importantly, based on the location and the way that they are breaking their own rules just like they did for COVID when it came to the elections. Uh, it says the top of the list is the Supreme Court's announcement last month that it will review the scope of the primary felony charges brought against January 6th defendant on obstruction of an official proceeding. This is the Sarbanes-Oxley law that Steve Friend and I have talked about long form, and it was developed for Enron, which, by the way, uh, we've covered down on this, but Enron, for all of uh, what, what happened to it, it turns out that a lot of those things were overturned on appeal as well. Not in, not in time to save the company. The company was destroyed. And there may have been bad things going on, but the fact that they used that law, apparently a lot of this stuff was even then an issue. And uh, the prosecutions were were problematic. The court's decision to take up that call uh, or take up that issue calls into question the charges against hundreds of these rioters. So now we've got 1,200 people that have been convicted successfully by the DOJ. And now hundreds of those people may not be um, subject to the penalties. Uh-oh. ruh row. They, they built up this body of work, and they are trying to go ahead and push the snowball over the finish line before, which, of course, includes gathering up Donald Trump himself. And they're going to have to answer to whether or not that was the appropriate use of that charge. And I think most of us agree that it's not. It doesn't make any bit of damn sense. All right. Uh, and then here you go. You've got a, uh, a U.S. district judge saying, we thought this was settled, but not anymore. That's when the justice system is actually weighing in on the outcomes. Bill Shipley, who was just quoted in that letter right there, he's one of the undersigned, said something very profound, and you guys should put this into your head. The job of the government, the job of the federal government with the DOJ should be fair process. The outcome is irrelevant. If justice is blind, if Lady Justice actually has this particular you know, uh, blindfold over her eyes and she can't see what's happening, her only job as the federal government, if you are the prosecuting side, if you are the investigating side, is to find all the facts, whether they are exculpatory, right? Whether they are incriminating, you put them out in front of a jury, the prosecutor makes the argument, this is why we think this is against this particular statute, this is how we think the violation happened, this is the pattern jury instructions, so this is how these, these particular charges have met the bar, and you must vote to either acquit, or you have to vote to uh, find them guilty. 
That's what's supposed to happen. And nobody has any total say. Nobody walks off with a victory home run. Nobody walks off with a loss. It's not a win or a loss, as you just heard Politico call it. It's supposed to be the process was fair. That's the victory for the government. That's not what we're seeing. We do not have a fair system if the government cares whether or not they win or lose. All right? That's the problem. It's a real problem. And when that happens, look, we'll go over to a, do a quick sponsor read right now, but uh, it leads to to a lot of un, unrest and a lack of faith in our system. So if you have some of that going on, and most of you probably do, you guys can also go and hedge against uncertainties with 4patriots.com slash Kyle. Go to 4patriots.com slash Kyle. You can also follow them at the number 4patriots, LLC on the social media platforms. You guys are seeing a little bit of the options out there. They've got all kinds of gadgets and gizmos. Some of this stuff is like really cool. They got hatchets and they got, you know, survival shovels. I actually own almost all of this stuff, whether it came from Four Patriots or before I knew them. Just letting you guys know. But get yourself some emergency comms when it comes to getting battery backups. The minute you start losing the ability to communicate, that's going to be real scary. Make sure you've got some calories. Get yourself some of the emergency food options. Those are on the screen right now. You can see some of the deals. If you want to just do a one and done, they've got an emergency sort of like go tote. You can pick that up. It's got all the stuff you want in there with a little bit of first aid, a little bit of water, a little bit of cooking stuff. you got some, uh, you know, a nice handy carrier. Throw that thing in the back of your vehicle. Call it good. 100%. Somebody, uh, Lemonzinger in the chat just says, I love big boy toys. Yeah, I also just, I'm just a, I'm basically like a 14-year-old boy with a grown man's paycheck. So uh, it allows me to have all kinds of cool gadgets and gizmos. I have multiple tomahawks in, in my closet right now and a whole safe full of guns. So I 100% recommend making sure that you do at least the minimum. My neighbors and I were talking about the other day. They said they have six months of food. They've got water purification. And they're like, what else do we need? It's like, well, you need power. You can do all those things. You can check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle. That will get you the deals that we have worked out with them. Those change every single week. So don't be surprised if you see something different. But 4patriots.com slash Kyle, or you just go to their website, click through anywhere. Just use the promo code Kyle. Let them know that we sent you. We appreciate that. And they do as well. So there it is. Um, all right, let's let's grab one more story here. Maybe two. I think I I think I said I would run it up here. This one is uh kind of interesting only because this is another completely unrelated sort of uh chink in the armor of the DOJ, if you will. And this one is coming from the politicsbrief.com. The story has been reported in other places as well, but uh you can see the title right up in the front here. Judge orders release of the so-called Newberg Four. After evidence, FBI, quote unquote, manufactured the terror plot. What have I told you guys about terrorism? You know, uh, we continue to, to, to taunt this book, which was first recommended to me in 2018 by a surveillance team member who was a supervisor and a stud and one of my good buddies. And uh, the statement was, is that you have to read The Terror Factory by Trevor Aronson, who writes for The Intercept right now. And by no means on the political right, but he's totally fair about this. When you hear the words manufactured terror plot and the terror factory, and I'm telling you, that book was written upwards of 10 years ago. This has been going on for a very long time. And this is one of the examples of it. It's a terrorism charge from 2010. There were four individuals that were convicted. Uh, there was a guy that was just let out on compassionate release on Friday, uh, six months after she ordered all the others the co-defendants released. And why is that? I almost wonder, and I don't know how to get into the, the, the mind of this U.S. District Judge, Colleen uh, McMahon. I'd love to know if she's seen any of the things that we've been talking about, whether it's Trevor Aronson, who's been pushing the needle on this thing, or whether it's the suspendables or a little bit of both or a little bit of all of the above. That's all fine with me, because the fact of the matter is, is these are manufactured terrorist plots. And we've thrown something up on the screen here that I think is the most damning piece. It's the, the, the words of the judge herself. Okay, And it just says, quite clearly, 
that it's the government's, the government is a real problem here. It says the three men were recruited so that uh, Chromite, I think that's his name, I might be mispronouncing it, could conspire with someone. They needed a conspiracy. So they went and recruited people to do it. The lead conspirator was the United States. This is incredibly damning. It's also incredibly accurate. The FBI invented the conspiracy. They identified the targets. They manufactured the ordinance. But for the United States government, there is no way that this terrorist plot, this jihadi mission, could have ever happened. They referred to the guy who they just let out as a small-time grifter who was both destitute and jobless. He was recruited by the FBI-led operation and supplied with phony explosives in return for $250,000 for his quote-unquote jihadish mission. And the guy was so desperate and so down and out, and either that or maybe also so low information, whether it be for mental problems or for his just inability because of his situation in life, he chose two hundred fifty grand as a possible payday, and it was the FBI. There's no way that this plot goes forward without the Bureau. You can't do it without the FBI, okay? So all these people that we keep telling you, this is the Gretchen Whitmer case, this is a bunch of these problems. They all come out of the same sort of nasty bag of tricks, which is called the the uh, CTD at the FBI, the Counterterrorism Division. They found a great system that worked right after 9-11. They were going after Muslims. That's a jihadi plot going in 2010. They pivoted to white supremacists. It's the same exact bullshit. There is no other way to call it that. These cases are inevitably bullshit. And having been on upward, like close to 20 of them around the country, I've seen them from Alaska to Florida. I've seen the entire gamut and all the way out to North Carolina, like literally from coast to coast. They are crap. They are crap cases. And they are only able to continue as long as the FBI continues to fund them and push them. They find weak, mentally unstable people who need a friend. That friend turns out to either be an FBI asset or an FBI agent. And then that person decides to agree to do what their friend asks, which is commit a terrorism. And when they do the terrorism, they show up with fake things that were never going to be real at a target that the FBI helped them select. And then they go to jail for 20 years to life. That's really troubling. There's more of them, too. I've got more. Like we could, we could do this all day. There's literally unlimited numbers of cases. Almost every single one of these things are what I would call FBI put-up jobs. So it's nice to see that people are being let out. It's awful to see that, but it's also interesting to note that the tables are turning on the judiciary when a federal judge is looking at it and going, you know what? You guys are the real problem. The thing that happened was the FBI set this guy up. How about that? What a change in 2024. Maybe we can see more of this stuff. I would love for the opportunity for guys like Steve Baker to be able to continue to expose what's going on and see where that rabbit hole leads when it comes to January 6th. I don't think there weren't some people that needed to go to jail. You punch a cop, whether they put you up or not, you might need to do some jail time, you might need to pay a fine, whatever. That doesn't mean that you should be spending the rest of your life for seditious conspiracy against the United States government, like we are somehow going to overthrow the government with a bunch of flagpoles. It's straight up insane. It's kooky duke silly, and I don't think we should be that kind of country. That makes us decidedly unserious. All right? Um, I want to talk the, the last things we're going over a little bit on time, but you know, we don't answer to anybody here and I've been out all weekend. So let's do this one real quick. This is an interesting story. So you always want to see the spin. I like to see the spin. This one is coming from a, uh, a news organization in Australia. They're quoting Sky News, which I believe is what this actually is. They're, they're, they're written form. It's news.com slash AU for Australia. How ironic. And what they did is they've gone after this guy who just died who was a a news he was a ESPN reporter he was a reporter in British journalism rather for the for the tennis circuit and they said that the anti-vaxxers have hijacked the tragic Australian Open death 
anti-vaccine activists have hijacked the sudden death. The fact of the matter is, is that we have this news media establishment that was so all in. And I watched the video that you're seeing the little picture of right there on the screen. I watched it and I listened to what the, the reporter had to say. And he said people in Australia were, were more than happy to get the vax just so they could go to like a Kmart or go to a pub. So, yeah, they had really firm convictions. Then you've got this guy, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name again, but it's Novak uh, Djokovic, who is the like one of the winningest Australian Open players in history. And he said, no, I'm not going to go in there. He ended up getting deported from the country in 2022 because he refused to get vaccinated. And he's a dominant, a dominating player on that particular tournament and a, a bunch of other Grand Slams. So here he is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And they make fun of him. And so you've got people that were heckling him and all this stuff. One guy who happened to go out there and uh, and write about him. It's like, oh, it's so strange that he doesn't want to win and why he would get the jab. Like, what a weird hill for him to die on. Uh, he died. And we have to assume, based on his stance on the vax and the fact that he was covering tennis there, that he was vaccinated. You know, I think that would be a pretty logical conclusion. The guy's name is Mike Dixon. And the fact that we're not allowed to talk about somebody who's 59 years old, which is not young, but it's not old. That's not old for today. Uh, there's pictures of him jogging with tennis players on the beach. He doesn't look like the most healthy guy, but he's British, so what are you going to do? Uh, British people oftentimes are healthier than they look, probably. <laughs> <laughs> can we even say that? I think we can. Uh, so he's this you know, British writer. He travels all over the world doing his thing. And then, boom, he's dead. And what do we do? What do we do with that? We're not allowed to talk about people that just dropped dead and the so-called irony of it. And that's that's somehow dunking. Like, I don't think we should be celebrating anybody's death, but we should be asking some questions. Uh, you know, the died suddenly thing has been going on for quite an hour, quite a while. And uh, I think it's going to come back into focus. I think it has to come back into focus because as DeSantis just pointed out earlier in this little video that we saw, it's one of the it's one of the major problems that happened in the uh, the Donald Trump era. You know, he kind of fumbled the ball a lot in the fourth quarter. I would like to see that picked up. And the it's the really important reason is he actually demonstrated to us when people were, when he was out there celebrating the jab. If you guys remember, he was talking about the brilliant vaccine, and all this stuff and people were booing it. And they didn't like it. What did he do? He changed his tune. That's what we're trying to do. That's what the suspendables are most interested in. We're interested in kind of pushing the needle on this stuff and making sure, hey, guy, we're not done talking about this stuff. And the FBI is our baby. People that are interested in the vaccine, that's their baby. People that are interested in January 6th, that is their baby. We all should be pushing so that the next conservative administration, whoever that is, but most likely Donald Trump, if he's able to win in 24, that needs to be front and center issues, we say, look, there were a lot of wrongs that were done in the last couple of years, and we'd like to reclaim some of that ground. Many of us will not get back our jobs. We will not get back our life. We will not get back anything other than the fact that we knew that we did the right thing at the right time. But man, how many family members have lost some people? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a government that like did some real investigations into, I don't know, election frauds? How about some real investigations into like what the hell is going on to these people? An honest CDC, an honest health and human services. That's the big fight here. That's the fight against the game, not against the people that are in it. All right. Those people are just players in it. So that's what I continue to say. Uh, best thing I can do. I, I rode on planes back and forth all across this country. I made it all the way down to Florida and back and everybody has the same agreement. Go out and meet your neighbors. I talked to multiple people on different planes from all over the place and we all have the same sort of instinct. Everybody is crazy, but my neighborhood is not. And the reason is, is because you know your neighbors and everybody's actually not crazy. Almost everybody is the opposite of that. You just got to get to know who they are. Go out there and make people people again. That would be actually the campaign that I would run, make people people again. That means you have to know that they're people and they're not your enemy and they're not a social media handle. Um, we can do it. We can push back and we can win that thing. I think it's really important. Let me also encourage you guys to go out there and support my buddy Garrett. 
Speaking to people who do the right thing, who's a real people, and his people are working hard making the merch. Today's show is uh, sporting, what do we got here? This is the Suspendables PT shirt. You guys can get it in OD green like I'm wearing. You can get it in gray, which is what I used to wear in the military. It's got the stenciling letter on the back. It's got the badge on the front. Remember, the eagle is down. That's the way we wear it. Uh, gave out a couple of pins to some Suspendables with the... Um, with the Catholic vote folks when I was out there. So uh, go out and support the merch store, you guys. Everybody who sees them, they love it. They, uh, I had the hoodie on when we played some pickleball. Uh, I will deny ever playing pickleball other than this episode, but uh, I had to go out and stand on a pickleball court with a couple of folks. And uh, I wore some Ranger panties, as you guys might expect. I'm sporting merch. And they're like, dude, you're merched up, aren't you? And I go, all the way. Support the uh, Suspendables merch store. It's the-suspendables.com, the-suspendables.com. Rose just threw it in the chat. I appreciate that, Rose. And you guys can also uh, use promo code KYLE, which will catch you some discount, probably 10%. K-Y-L-E, it's the same discount everywhere you go. The-suspendables.com. Support the O'Boyle family sweatshop and keep them sweating. It's a new year. It's a new time to keep pushing it. New uh, financial year as well, fiscal year. So let's do that. And uh, lastly, all of you guys, you guys are the best. You leave us the five-star reviews. We're going to read one right you know. I want to almost do a Donald Trump impression there. Just the best reviews. We get the best. Here it is. This is from Carrie Camarillo, I think. Thank you. Five stars. Really enjoy listening to you. Very wise. So much great information. Love all of these brave FBI or FBI brave whistleblowers. Brilliant. And thank you. Kyle, you're a superstar. Oh, all shucks. <laughs> thank you. Really look forward to Friendly Fridays with Steve Friend. So does his dad. So do I. He's such a cool soul. That's the first time anybody ever told Steve Friend that he was cool. Just so you guys know it. It's on here. Document it. January 22 at uh, 9.37 Central Time. Steve Friend is a cool, cool cat. All right, folks, we're going to see you again tomorrow. We really appreciate you guys being here. Look forward to it. I hope you have a wonderful day. Go out there and meet your neighbors. God bless you. Be safe. And we'll see you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.